Hello there, and welcome to WeatherSnap. I'm Claire Nazir. And I'm Alex Deakin. And today we are talking about the latest scientific analysis on the Canadian wildfire. Still ongoing, of course. But first, we'll talk about hurricane development. Did you see some of the footage, Claire, coming out from uh, the southwest of the United States through the course of this week? Ex-hurricane Hillary swept across the southwest, dropping ridiculous amounts of rain. Mm, it was really quite dramatic. The amount of just power in that storm, and it had degraded by then, it had weakened by that point. Uh, but yes, roads became rivers, debris just flying down these these surges of water, and obviously contaminated water at that because residential areas were really inundated. Um, there was particular imagery from Santa Rosalia in Bayer, California, which was pretty potent. And then as ex-Hillary arrived in California, it was it arrived as a rare tropical storm and dumping four to five inches of rain. They obviously measure rain in inches in the US, 10 to 12 centimetres. That's across coastal areas, but in the sort of mountains, much more than that, double that. So really quite prolific weather in this part of the world. Yeah, I mean, as you said, the storm really weakened before it made landfall and it hit as a, as a tropical storm. It wasn't a hurricane, so the winds weren't really affected, but but packing a lot of rain into an area that just doesn't see a lot of rain. So that's why it causes all these problems. If you're, if you're not used to it, then obviously it's going to cause some big issues. That part of the world, pretty rare to see a tropical storm making landfall. There have been a few cases of recent times of storms going across Mexico and then across into the border, through, over the border into California. Uh, last one of those, I think, 97 storm Nora. But if this is confirmed that they made landfall across California, it'd be the first time since 1939. But there have been potent storms. That's how they get a lot of their rain. Uh, but Obviously, infrequently, there are a few examples in the late 70s of, of tropical storms, say, going into Mexico and then crossing the border into California and causing similar actual damage. Uh, storm Kathleen, I think, was one storm. Uh, Noreen, another, again, these in the late 70s. Um, so, yeah, quite a few examples, but over many decades of dropping a lot of rain in a short space of time. And I think Death Valley recorded over two inches of rain, something like 55 millimetres in a day, and that equates to their annual average so a year's worth of rain falling in a day but of course it doesn't often make a lot of sense comparing averages in, in these this part of the world because it is so very dry they get rainfall in in sudden bursts and you know they can go for years without any rainfall and then uh you get a, a big drop of rain like that so it averages out so it's a bit misleading to to compare and say oh they had a year's worth in a day because they often get these sudden bursts but nevertheless that is an amazing stat do you know, I would love to have been in Death Valley for that event. Um, I was there a few years ago and it was just horrific. The heat was just, it was just below 50 degrees. We were there for 10 days filming and some of it is below sea level. So I can't imagine mm. what rain would, when it's falling on such a hot surface, it's almost like pouring water over a, a really hot frying pan because that's how it feels when you're in that type of heat. It's just so intense. It's just overwhelming, really. I was in um, Uluru and the Red Centre in Australia back in the late 80s where they had a, a surge of rain after have a really dry spell. And it was incredible, Alex, how life just came into being. You know, it became the green centre for a few weeks. So yeah, I'd love to see yeah. some pictures come out of this area to see whether wildlife has responded to that little bit of rain, which makes all the difference. 
Yeah, of course. And in, in these kind of desert environments, uh, the wildlife adapts, doesn't it? So there will be seeds or something like that that's buried, you know, under, just waiting for just some rainfall and then it, it springs into life. That's how mm. it works. So, yeah, it would be interesting to see some of that some of that footage now. But obviously the footage coming out during the storm was was pretty severe, pretty serious. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it has been a fairly quiet season up to now and there's been an uptick. I mean, that's a good way of describing it. I caught up with Paul Hutchins, who's uh, one of our deputy chief meteorologists here at the Met Office and runs the Global Guidance Unit. And he gave me some really good insights into what's been happening and what's going to happen. Here's him talking about Hurricane Franklin, first of all. At the moment, it looks like the track of Franklin is going to take it uh, between the east coast of the United States of America and uh, Bermuda. So it looks like, even though it will strengthen up to a hurricane, a low risk that it might be a, a Category 3 major hurricane, it does look like it will be out over open water and therefore hopefully not uh, produce any significant impacts to the United States or to Bermuda. Okay. And now let's go a little bit further south to the eastern side of Mexico where another storm is brewing. So we have uh, an area of thunderstorms uh, that are expected to become more widespread over the next few days uh, between the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico and uh, and Cuba. And there certainly is some signs in the models that uh, we'll see this area become organised into a tropical depression through the weekend and potentially strengthen into a tropical storm early next week. And, uh, and that system could track northeastwards to affect uh, Florida, but there's a lot of uncertainty about that at the moment. The Mid-Atlantic, again, some activity going on here. It was a, it was a tropical system for a brief time and, and then it did decay, uh, but there is now signs that Emily will start to um, become more organised and perhaps become a named uh, tropical storm again as it moves northwards uh, through the North Atlantic. But again, I think it looks like it's going to be a brief period of strengthening before it uh, travels further north into cooler waters and up into the jet stream. And uh, and certainly the remnants of Emily may well come into the UK as a frontal system uh, for a time early next week. And finally, Paul talks about what's happening in the weeks to come. There's just a continuation of uh, of African easterly waves that, that are moving out of, of West Africa. And that's what we've seen over the, the last few weeks. And it looks like that will continue over the coming few weeks. So I think we will see further areas of development uh, in the Atlantic. Um, but we are coming up to the, uh, the, the peak period for North Atlantic tropical cyclones. Our thanks to Paul Hutchinson for more and for more details, check out our Met Office Storms X feed. And that's, you know, the old Twitter for those of you who uh, are not familiar <laughs> with that storm. phrase yet. So, Alex, <laughs> let's go back to Emily for a moment, because they mm. occasionally do sit in the mid-Atlantic. Sometimes they even find their way further east and they come in all different guises, all different sort of levels of storm from just injecting a little bit of moisture to something a, a bit more of a, of a powerful beast. Um, and yeah, things can go high octane, can't they? Yeah, Emily's an interesting one because 
fizzled out, but is reactivating now, energizing and, and turning into uh, potentially quite a, quite a potent area of low pressure, at least for a time. And just, just going back to that, Emily was one of the four storms we talked about there, that Paul talked about, that, that formed within 39 hours. And I think that was a record, uh, the, the quickest that the NHC had named four storms, four storms named in just 39 hours earlier this week. But yeah, Emily's an interesting one, died, but now re-energizing a little bit and drifting northwards and perhaps affecting the UK's weather during the second mm. half or perhaps of the bank holiday weekend, but more likely into next week coming up as a low pressure system. Won't be a, won't be a tropical system anymore. It'll undergo that transition, but, but introducing more moisture and becoming a more typical area of low pressure uh, close by to the UK and giving us a bit more uncertainty than usual about next week's forecast. More on that in a moment. But yeah, we have seen this before and we've seen it before actually during a bank holiday weekend. Uh, 37 years ago, I believe, uh, 1986, interfered with a paper round of mine, I remember, <laughs> uh, back in the day. I'm talking about ex-Hurricane Charlie, which actually brought uh, some really serious weather across the UK and Ireland at the time, back in 1986, uh, formed as a storm back on the 13th of August, and then kind of fizzled out a little bit, weakened as it went northwards, and then, as sometimes they do, went post-tropical, became a more typical area of low pressure and actually then intensified again with the help of the jet stream just to the west of the UK and uh, really barreled into Ireland, dropping a lot of rain and some, some very strong gusts of wind. And actually intensified so much that the central pressure of Charlie was, was lower, or ex-Charlie, was lower as it approached the UK uh, down to 980 millibars, I think, than it, than it ever was when it was uh, a storm in the tropics. So that's, that's quite interesting. And yeah, dropped a lot of rain. Actually, I didn't realize this until I saw saw the notes that you'd made on this, uh, Claire. I actually didn't realize it had caused so many fatalities, mm -hmm. caused caused 11 deaths across Ireland and the UK. So it was, it was a really powerful storm. Strong winds as well, but the heavy rainfall especially uh, caused flooding across parts of Ireland, particularly Dublin area. 450-odd buildings were flooded, uh, some up to a depth of... Uh, almost two and a half meters or eight feet. And in the UK, floods were created, brought down trees and power lines as well. And I think until recently it was one of the one of the wettest days on record across the UK until about 2020. So yeah, storm ex storm Charlie. And there was me worrying about my paper round, but I actually didn't realize it had caused all this all this problem. Yeah. All these problems. I mean, and thanks also to Aidan for highlighting that you know how sometimes he comes out with these really incredible random facts about something that happened before probably he was born because he didn't... I was going to say, I was doing a paper round. He must yeah. have still been in his nappies in 86. So he threw that one in the mix and we thought, yeah. But, but he, just knew, he just knows, yeah. doesn't he? I mean, even when he was three, he was probably studying weather charts. Of course he was. He's all yeah, over of course it. he was. And in fact, this week he did the 10-day trend, uh, which goes out every Wednesday. And we've got six days left of this summer. And this summer hasn't been what some people hoped it would be, even though we had a lovely June when all the kids were still at school. So many people have forgotten yeah, about June. So, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. So over. It's, it's been a, such a rubbish summer. It's been such a rubbish summer. It's like the first month was the warmest on record. It was just like, yeah, people have such short memories. But I guess that was perhaps too warm for people and people just want just something, want in, something between. in between. Just a bit of a normal summer. What is a normal summer, Alex? God knows. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, he, um, I, I think... You know, talking to our stats man, uh, Dr. Mark McCarthy, is not going to be one of the coolest summers. It could be still a warm summer because we've had some balmy nights and obviously June 
adds pushes up the the average over the summer months and we'll be picking up on those numbers um probably next week on weathersnap but before we talk about what's happening for the rest of our summer that's six days to go lots of pressure there and obviously a bank holiday coming up as well a new report out just this week looking into the canadian wildfires earlier this summer from may um, this report comes from the world weather attribution which analyzes extreme natural events and tries to quantify them through man-made climate change influence. Now here at the Met Office and other weather institutions around the world, we also publish what we call attribution studies, looking at extreme weather events. And every month must be a really busy month for these scientists because, you know, as we touched on just last week and the week before, there's so much going on across the world in terms of extreme weather. And it's important to really understand the sort of climate change fingerprint analyze all that data and obviously that data is ingested into our climate models to give us a, a better and a, a more accurate sort of trend of where we're going with our weather yeah these wildfires have been burning since may really uh, and some of the numbers incredible 13 million hectares uh, and obviously we've seen the effects even across the uk with with smoke in in our atmosphere earlier this week some some amazing images actually from scotland of, of waves of smoke in the atmosphere and of course we saw a couple of months ago there's pictures coming out of new york where it was just blanketed in smoke as well so yeah it's it's had downstream effects but obviously across canada these wildfires have just been crazy and um it's earlier conditions that that helped with these wildfires the 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 warmest May to June period since 1940, beating the previous record, which was in 98, uh, by a huge margin, 0.8 degrees Celsius. And also humidity has also been really low. So it's that combination of sunny, dry weather, low humidity, uh, continuous winds up from the southeast as well, which helped to fuel all these fires across Alberta and British Columbia and then through parts of central Saskatchewan as well. So, uh, yeah, it's been an incredible season across Canada. Yeah, I mean, it, and then they are familiar with this type of weather. Just two years ago, we actually did a podcast about it, about that intense heat across particularly British Columbia, where a little village called Lytton became very famous for the wrong reasons, when the temperature almost peaked at 50 degrees Celsius. The next day, 90% of that town burnt down. And even to date, not everyone has been rehoused. These things happen and there's long-term impacts for, for residents as well as vulnerable ecosystems. So what did the report say? What are we talking about here? So this attribution study was a rapid one. The report came out today. The wildfires are still happening across Canada, but it's important to just analyze and see where we're going with this. So in today's climate as a background, yes, it was intense and it's expected to occur every 20 to 25 years. So that means the probability of an event like this happening in any one year is around four to 5%. However, because of the severity and the intensity of the fire season to the end of July, the report has now concluded that the intensity was about 50% higher than what it should be. And that means that at least it's at least seven times more likely to occur. And the peak fire weather that has been experienced this year, twice as likely. So they're quite startling headlines, which means that the reality of something like this happening again is going to be more common than it should be. 
and that's down to climate change. And I'm sure there will be other attribution studies done on this, this whole event and the extreme heat as well. But certainly this one has been turned around quickly just so we can get that information out there. Yeah, really interesting stuff. And as you say, there'll be a lot more studies on this. And of course, it doesn't really, you know, people sometimes point, oh, it was all started by arsonists or, or whatever, use that as an excuse. You know, most fires are started by, by a human hand, whether deliberately or not. That's, that's kind of irrelevant. The, the problem is with climate change, it just makes the land drier. It makes you know the, the sun beating down more, uh, higher temperatures just makes them spread more easily and and and, and more rapidly, and 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 that's the problem. That's that's what we're seeing here. Mm. And just coming a little bit closer to home, we do have a heat wave currently across western northern parts of Europe, where again we've seen wildfires in Spain, and they're still burning across some parts of Greece. The good news is across the western side of southern Europe. The, the heat wave is going to ease through the next few days. Um, I don't know whether the fires will therefore ease as well, but certainly we want a little bit of rain there. We don't want any wind. We just want everything calming down, a bit of cloud and just a less intense heat across that part of the world. But for Greece, uh, the latest information is they are still burning and the heat is still really high there. So not great information coming out from that part of the world. I know people, uh, you know, it's a massive tourist destination as well. Uh, and they that's the second proper heat wave they've had this season so far. Yeah, we've seen some heat across France as well. You know, um, temperatures have been uh, record-breaking. I think the highest August temperature recorded in France earlier this week and temperatures by night close to record-breaking as well, particularly so in the south, some oppressive heat there. And that that warmth and humidity has now... Well, has been heading its way northwards and triggered some big, big thunderstorms on Thursday morning across northern France. My brother-in-law is on holiday at the moment in Le Touquet. Uh, big thunderstorms across that part of the world. Just a glancing blow to the southeast on Thursday morning. But uh, yeah, some, some big downpours there. That is now kind of clearing away. That heat and humidity is pulling away and we're into fresher air for the weekends and low pressure dominating. But, you know... Won't be all bad over the over the weekend. It's a bank holiday. It's not a bank holiday in Scotland, but it is a bank holiday elsewhere. The last one until Christmas for many of us as well. I like to throw that. I'm confident that this bank holiday will be warmer than the next bank holiday, but I'm also confident this bank holiday will be not very warm compared to other August bank holidays. It's on the cool side. Is it a, is it a weekend to staycation there. here in the UK? Then would you say, Alex? Well, it depends what you like. It'd be nice to get out and about, you know, there'll be walking weather as well. And yeah, why not? I mean, it might not necessarily be, be incredible beach weather, but there'll be some sunshine. Of course, any sun, it may not, you know, the temperature may only be 21, 22 degrees at best. Average. But, you know, there's still a bit of, still a bit of welly in the sun. <laughs> so it feels warm if you're out in it. Uh, will we see any sun? Saturday, it's going to be showers. There's some heavy downpours to dodge on Saturday. Sunday, there's a weather from coming in from the west. So it does get a bit drier, but then some rain comes into the west later on. And Monday doesn't look too bad. Still a few showers across eastern areas. But generally, actually, Monday, uh, if you are having a bank holiday, then it doesn't look too bad at this stage with a little ridge of high pressure. Into next week, is that, well, it's probably the last full week of the school holidays for many. I know, again, Scotland have already gone back, but um, the weather still looks pretty mixed, dominated by low pressure. Complications with this ex-Emily or whether what happens with that tropical system, Emily, coming up. And that's not directly affecting the UK. It doesn't look likely, but likely to inject a bit more uncertainty because it just 
produces a bit more energy and messes with the jet stream. But generally speaking, next week, low pressure still nearby. So staying cool and staying showery like it has done for a good part of the summer so far. But as always, there will be some sunshine between the showers. It's just a question of timing. Yes, it's one of those where you have to really sort of stay tuned to the forecast and plan your moments outside if you want a last blast of sunshine. Although September sometimes just pops up as a really beautiful month. Don't. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to say. No, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to spoil it on a different level now. A little, a little pet hate, hate of yours. The first, I always like to look, it's like the first cuckoo of spring. Yeah. It's like the first mention of the I word, Indian summer. When does that happen? And I overheard our press office guys talking to, talking to a newspaper. I won't name the newspaper, but they were, they were asking about, is it is this an Indian summer? I know, I know you love that 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 debate. It's one of my pet hates. Is it twenty five, thirty years of 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 the? You know, you've got to let it go. I know, I've got, got to let, let it go. go. But we know an Indian summer is really not that at all. It's an extension of the summer, and our summers are getting a little bit longer. They're elongating in terms of the warmth, although obviously not this August, but even so. Um, and also sea surface temperatures are lovely in in September. So if you get a bit of warm, jumping in the sea across the coastal waters of the UK is absolutely beautiful you know absolutely yes yes so let's uh, uh, fingers crossed that september brings some fine and some yes weather. let's do let's do our fingers crossed type of forecasting trends that sometimes <laughs> does work out quite well um, <laughs> i'm not sure you can say that on a no i don't think we can actually just erase that anyway finally we all love a weather photo don't we we do i mean we use them a lot on our broadcast mm. we've got an amazing library of imagery Friends have taken photographs. We've got stock footage as well. But it just sort of represents what we're just about to talk about. And every photograph in our library is just breathtaking, whether it's the heavy rain, the rainbows, the nacreous clouds, or just a little bit of snow. Oh, can't can't beat a weather photo. And we, we love getting them, actually. We often put peels out, don't we, on on Twitter slash X at the weekend. Uh, so you can always send them into us using the hashtag love UK weather. And we do use them quite a bit and we use them quite a lot on, on Instagram mm. as well. And it really is a national obsession. And I think that's why a few years ago, the, the Royal Metsoc, Royal Meteorological Society, who I know you're a member of, um, started a competition for weather photos. And every year it's got a little bit more popular. And this year's a biggie. It really is not only because of the amount of entries, but the, the standards being incredibly high, but also because our very own Helen Roberts is a judge on the panel. I caught up with Helen earlier to find out how it was to judge such a competition and maybe some of her favourites. So I was so delighted when I was asked to be part of this year's competition. I didn't really know what to expect, but um, it was a fascinating process. Lots of different expertise on the judging panel, which I guess is really important. So there were obviously people there with a meteorological background, also people there with a photographic background and some with a mix of those disciplines. So, it, yeah, it was really good fun. So you've picked the finalists for the Photographer of the Year 2023 and everyone tells a story, whether it's beauty or devastation. The judging panel went through hundreds and hundreds. In fact, I think there were over a thousand in this category in the end. And they were incredible in terms of the, the standards. There really were none that we just thought, oh, well, that's not very good. They were all mind blowing and um, such a variety of different subjects 
guests and 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 topics as well which i think was really important something we were we were keen to ensure that there's a wide variety of different sort of meteorology represented in the final selection but actually we didn't have to work too hard to do that because there were there was such a great variety of of different photographs from all around the world so they're all incredibly eye-catching from imagery of a volcano to a very hazy morning looks like it could be somewhere in Suffolk say a halo um, of cirrus and then the other side of it this was the extreme whether it's wildfires or or drought or or lightning I mean everyone paints a picture of something which is which is so powerful Powerful is a really good good word for it and way of describing many of these photos. And actually, I think I'm right in saying that this was the first year in which there was a specific category of photos for climate change and impacts of extreme weather and climate change. And, and some of the final 25 photos do actually show that. As you say, there are some representing wildfire. Um, there's also a really interesting one that sort of appealed to my um, psychology background as well as the media meteorology of um, some feet on a very wet street and what looks like a lady who swiped up her little girl to keep her dry from the yeah. from the wet yes. grounds and I, ju I just really like that one. There's 25 I think that have been shortlisted that people can go and vote on now so if you go to the Royal Meteorological Society website search for Standard Chartered Weather Photographer of the Year you'll find those shortlisted photographs and you can pick your favourite and the vote is open um, for about the next month or so. And this happens every year That's so right. for budding photographers out there it might be worth thinking about a subject that you may want to capture for next year's competition. Definitely. It's always good to have plenty of notice, isn't it, for these sorts of things, especially when you're relying on nature. There's also a specific subsection for photographs taken on a mobile phone, which is really nice that we sort of allow for that and, and have that as a separate category. And, and some of the photos in that category were equally incredible. And also for young photographers. Yes, Young Photographer of the Year is is a third category um, and they will be shown in the week Junior Science and Nature magazine. So it's really great for, for young people to get involved with this as well. So for our thanks to Helen Roberts, big day coming up in October and a public vote. And then again, it happens next year. So any budding photographers out there, whether you use a mobile phone or you've got a child who loves taking photos, it's something for everyone here. Alex, we can see some of those final photos just now. Anyone that just mm. springs out, do you think actually that is? Well, I love an aqueous cloud. So that's obviously yeah. that's obviously a bit of a favourite. That one with the halo around it is 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 a beauty as well. But then, you know, you've got the lining and you've got the drama and then there's that sunrise one. Where's that one? That's beautiful mm. of that tree. Oh, too many to choose from. Too many to choose mm. from. But the vote's open now, right? The public yeah. can vote as of yes. today. So you can go and vote for your favourite one. And we'll put uh, the press release. If you're listening to this on YouTube, the press release will be in the uh, in the description. So you can go and read the uh, press release and vote find out how to vote on them. yes enjoy enjoy looking at those photographs and remember next year you could be part of that it's really good anyway so that's it for weather snap this week um i hope you're all going to have an amazing weekend whether it's a bank holiday weekend or just a normal one 
grab those moments of sunshine and realize, you know, it's always good to have a little bit of rain. Our land remains so verdant and green, doesn't it, Alex? Positive. It's a beautiful, beautiful positivity <laughs> to end on. Yes. Thanks, Claire. And you, Alex, have a good weekend and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.